Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. At seven years old, Micah was a bubbly, outgoing child. He loved smiling for the camera and getting his picture taken. His parents, Daniel and Kim, doted on their son religiously, as many would. The family lived comfortably in Southern California, where Daniel had a successful practice as a medical doctor and Kim as a social worker helping children in need. Things were not perfect, but in Daniel and Kim's minds, it's definitely close to it. One day, Daniel received a phone call from a family friend asking him if he would be willing to cast Micah in an upcoming film. The film was produced by none other than Steven Spielberg. What better name to drop than that one, right? The friend knew how their son's magnetic personality and adorable looks can translate easily on the big screen. Daniel hesitated for a bit, but brought it up to both Kim and Micah. When Micah learned that he could be in a movie, he jumped up and down and screamed, I like it, I like it. So with a smile, both parents looked at each other and agreed. How can they say no to that? On set, it was clear that Micah was a natural. The director and crew adored him. On the first full day of filming, Micah did very well. Both Daniel and Kim were on set to see their son flourish. The next day of filming, Kim decided to stay home, and Daniel went with Micah. Although she was nervous the day before, the director assured her that everything will be fine. Plus, there was another child about the same age as Micah who was also a family friend. What Kim will soon realize, that everything will actually not be fine. In fact, it will be far from it. You are listening to Untimely a podcast about events in earlier or recent history that resulted in untimely fatalities and damages in its wake. I'm your host, Lynn. Decades before computer graphic imagery, movies relied on building elaborate sets, creative camera angles, and amazing talents to make films as close to real life as possible. One of the things I loved seeing is the behind-the-scenes action. As a Curious Movie fan, seeing how feature films were made gave me a glimpse of the intense work and long hours that hundreds of people put in to make one single film. We also find out that things don't work out the way they planned. Some films go over budget or many delays in shooting, and it is up to the producers and directors on how to properly react. In this episode of Untimely, we'll learn about the not-so-glamorous side of Hollywood and how choices made by many can fatally affect the lives of others. Rod Serling was the master of writing narratives that cover many genres, including science fiction, horror, and fantasy. His genius storytelling gifted the world with a television series called The Twilight Zone, 
Now, many of you may have heard of this more recently as it is now being rebooted into a new series by Academy Award winner Jordan Peele. The series was first shown in 1959, all shot in black and white, and its success made the show a household name because of its ominous background music, ability to create awareness, ability to provoke emotions from its audience, and of course, the jaw-dropping twists in the end. One episode of Twilight Zone has about two or three mini-episodes, and usually the stories reflect current social issues and how we as human beings respond. Episodes are opened and closed by a narrator who provides context and background for the audience. The original Twilight Zone ran for five seasons, its second revival in 1985, the third revival in 2002, and finally, the fourth revival in 2019. Many actors, actresses, and directors have been influenced by the Twilight Zone that you can pick up on its little nuances in many of the current TV and movies. On a personal note, I can tell you of the three of my favorite episodes. Eye of the Beholder, A Little Peace and Quiet, and of course, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, starring William Shatner, which was also remade twice, including in the 2019 reboot. I do highly recommend watching the series. Some of the old full episodes are available online. The Twilight Zone series became so popular that it produced games, comic books, stage productions, a Disney theme park attraction, and of course, a movie. In 1982, Steven Spielberg's success with Indiana Jones and E.T. turned everything he touched into box office gold. His next brilliant idea was to produce a movie based on The Twilight Zone. Spielberg recruited three well-known directors to direct episodes and to write and produce the screenplays. On a random side note again, one of the writers was Richard Matheson, who also wrote I Am Legend and A Stir of Echoes, two really great novels also made into films. Spielberg recruited one of his friends for the project, actor, director, producer, and writer John Landis. At that time, Landis directed hit movies such as Animal House and The Blues Brothers. Excited to produce with his friend, John Landis gladly accepted and the project went underway under the license of Warner Brothers Studios. The other two directors were George Miller, who directed Mad Max, and Joe Dante, the director of Kremlins. Spielberg and Landis envisioned the movie with four mini-stories, three of which were based on original TV episodes and one semi-original screenplay. John Landis was given the charge of directing and writing the movie's prologue, epilogue, and the only original story. The story Landis wrote was called Time Out. The story of Time Out focuses on a bigoted man who goes on a quote-unquote journey to realize his prejudices. John Landis, with the help of the studio's casting agency, chose veteran actor Vic Morrow for the lead role of Bill Connor. Vic Morrow was a popular television and movie actor and father of actress Jennifer Jason Lee. Without giving away the plot, in one of the segments of the episode, the lead character of Bill Connor finds himself in Vietnam where he tries to save two village children from the dangers of war. So this means two young children, specifically of Asian descent, will need to be cast alongside Vic Morrow as well as hire stunt pilots to fly the helicopters for the war scenes. Since the roles of the two kids were considered extras because they were non-speaking, the casting agency was not asked to use the proper channels to find the two children. Instead, Landis asked George Folsey, an associate producer, to hire the two children somewhere else, unknown to the casting agency. Folsey had reservations about this request from his director, 
but went ahead and searched for the two children to use as extras. Through a professional acquaintance, Fosse found two children, a six-year-old girl named Renee and a seven-year-old named Micah. Both children were of Chinese heritage. And when Landis met the two children and their parents, he was ecstatic to have found the two child actors to star in his movie. Along the same lines, a pilot was hired to fly the helicopter needed for the dramatic scenes. Army veteran Dorsey Wingo filled this position in the crew. Wingo was an experienced helicopter pilot who completed combat missions during the Vietnam War. This was Wingo's first Hollywood gig, doing what he loved and trained to do all his life. Each mini-episode of the movie was filmed separately. John Landis began filming Time Out in July of 1982. The Vietnam scenes were shot in a privately owned location outside of Los Angeles called Indian Dunes Park. Indian Dunes Park was used as a set location by many other TV and movie shows because of the versatility of its features. The park has cliffs, mountains, and has the Santa Clarita River flowing through it. It has been used as an alternative location for Brazil, France, Africa, and in this case of the Twilight Zone, Vietnam. The Vietnam scenes were the last segment of Time Out to be filmed because of its elaborate set design and the intense pyrotechnics that they will be using. The setup of the climactic scene was as follows. Bill Connor finds two young children in one of the village huts near a flowing river. The village then comes under heavy fire with mortars and grenades exploding everywhere, machine guns firing at almost all angles, and a helicopter with soldiers shooting down at the ground. Bill will have to carry the two children, one in each arm, and will hurry across the river while being chased by the helicopter. In the evening of July 22, 1982, the scenes where Bill Connor finds the two children were shot on location near the Santa Clarita River. A mock village with huts was built on one side of the river, while on the other side were the trailers and behind-the-scenes equipment. The location was perfect for the scene. In the first day, Landis had to reshoot several times because Renee and Micah could not stop giggling because Vic Morrow were making funny faces at them. But they managed to pull through. The children finally finished their parts inside the village at around 3.30 in the morning, while their parents looked on on the side with the other spectators. When they were finished, the parents were handed an envelope with $500 cash inside and were told that the children will be needed the next night again for the climactic part of the episode. It was a long night, but the children seemed to enjoy it. So the next night, July 23, 1982, this was the last day of filming for Time Out and preparations for the big scene were set. Dorsey Wingo planned the flight path he was going to take using instructions from Landis. This was around 9.30 p.m. The helicopter he was piloting was a UH-1B Huey helicopter, a model he was quite familiar with and used to navigating during the war. James Chamomile, the head pyrotechnician, was setting up the timed firebombs and explosives all around the location, while Jack Tice, a fire safety officer from the Los Angeles County Fire Department, observed and monitored. Other crew and stuntmen were busy reviewing the scene details and cues on when to fire the prop machine guns. Before the actual take, there were multiple practice takes with just the helicopter flying above and less intense pyrotechnics on a smaller scale, so Landis can get the perfect shot. In one of the takes, 
Wingo almost lost control of the helicopter because of the scorching hot explosives fired so close to him that he swore he got burned. In another take, water from the river covered the helicopter's windshield so much that Wingo could barely see where he was going. At one point, when the helicopter landed for another take, Wingo stated to another crew member that maybe he and the helicopter shouldn't be so close to the river because of the intense heat and explosives. They were a little too much. John Landis heard them and said, You ain't seen nothing yet. At around 1 a.m., Renee and Micah were sleeping in their trailer. Both children's fathers and Renee's mother were with them. George Folsey knocked on the door and asked to wake the children to get ready. He asked all of them if they wanted a bite to eat, and all of them shook their heads to indicate no. As the group left the trailer walking toward the river where the scene was going to be filmed, the air was filled with smoke and the smell of gasoline from practice takes surrounded them. So Renee's mom asked Folsey, is it dangerous? And Folsey replied, no, not dangerous, just a loud noise. Folsey also casually mentioned to the adults that if any of the firefighters or safety officers asked who they were, to say that they were Folsey's friends just there to watch and the children weren't working for the studio. The parents looked at one another, puzzled and confused with what Folsey just said. So Daniel, Micah's father, asked why, but Folsey didn't answer him. He only said not to worry. At 2.20 a.m., Landis yelled and ordered the filming to start. Wingo primed the helicopter for takeoff while the cameraman with him inside the Huey adjusted the lenses to get the right shot. Four other crew members were on board the Huey with Wingo. James Chamomile checked the pyrotechnics using a firing board that was rigged to detonate explosions. His crew got ready to set off more blasts at the other side of the mock village, and stuntmen stood by, the machine guns ready to operate on cue. Camera operators found their spots to start filming. Vic Morrow stood on the village side of the river, in knee-deep water, while Renee and Micah were placed by the assistants on his right and on his left. Vic's line was, I'll keep you safe, kids, I swear to God, as the village exploded in the background. So Vic clutched Renee in his left arm and Micah on the right and closed his eyes, inhaled sharply, opened his eyes, and nodded at John Landis, who was standing on the other side of the river, to let him know that he is ready to roll. Landis then raised his bullhorn and yelled, Action! Wingo heard the cue on radio and flew toward the direction of the river from behind the mock village. He can barely see Mara with the two kids in his arms from a distance. The first set of explosions set off behind him. The Huey rocked a bit, but Wingo maintained control. He lowered down the Huey as he got closer to the river. Landis shouted on his bullhorn, Mower! 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 And an assistant repeated the order through the radio so Wingo can hear. Landis then shouted, Fire! 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 So James Chamomile ran an electrified nail across the board to set off the explosions, and suddenly the sky lit up. Machine guns rattled and loud blasts filled the air. The sound of guns cued Vic Morrow to start running away from the village with Renee and Micah clutching his arms. The air from the helicopter blades caused the river water to splash around and caused Vic to strain a bit, but he kept moving forward. Landis shouted an order at the helicopter again. Lower! 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 Wingo shook his head as he winced from the heat of the blasts, but he followed and lowered the Huey towards the river. 
The Huey then was about 25 feet from the ground. On cue, he backed away from the three actors below when suddenly a blast exploded very close to the tail rotor and spun the Huey out of control. Vic Morrow accidentally dropped Renee in the river, and when he lowered his body to pick her up, the right side skid slammed on top of Renee, and with the helicopter main blades on its side, decapitated both Vic and Micah. All this was shot on film. As the explosions died down and the helicopter laid broken on the riverbed, Landis raised his bullhorn and screamed, That's a wrap! Leave your equipment where it is. Everyone go home. Please go home. Micah and Renee's parents, on the other hand, were on their knees, screaming, crying. What have they just witnessed? Falsey pulled them away from the accident and asked somebody to bring them to the hospital. 53-year-old Vic Morrow, 6-year-old Renee Chen, 7-year-old Micah Lay died instantly. The six crew members on board the Huey, including Dorsey Wingo, were severely injured and kept their lives. Firefighters and hip waiters frantically defused the explosions that once illuminated the sky and rescued the crew inside the helicopter. Once out of the water, Wingo will never forget what he heard next. They're gone, Dorsey. The blades got him. Everyone was at a loss and cannot believe what just happened. Weeks passed and funerals for Vic, Renee, and Micah followed the fatal accident. In attendance at all three services were Director John Landis and some of the crew members on site that fatal early morning. Landis and Fosey spoke during the funeral for Vic Morrow's service. Investigation of the accident was immediately initiated by government agencies including the NTSB, or the National Transportation and Safety Board, Federal Aviation Administration, and the Los Angeles County Sheriff. What they have uncovered during the investigation was unbelievably sad and horrifying. It was found out that the parents of Renee and Micah were never made aware of the explosions and danger that their children will be subjected to while filming. They were even assured that only loud noises can be heard and there was no real danger. And if you remember, during the film shooting, Fosey told the parents not to mention anything to the firefighters. It's because the children were hired under unlawful circumstances. Under the state of California child labor laws, no child can work after dark and that a teacher or a licensed welfare worker had to be present at all times. And this licensed welfare worker has the final say if he or she deemed that the environment the children were working at were unsafe. This was why Falsey insisted that the parents don't mention anything to the firefighters or anyone else for that matter. On top of that, this was Landis's call. He knew what they were doing was wrong. Now, they could have also asked for waivers, but he didn't. Landis most likely thought that either he won't get the signed waivers on time, or he knows that he will never get it approved because of the danger that children will be subjected to during the film. And to make sure that no one knows about this, Landis instructed that the $500 paid to each set of parents should be taken out of the film's petty cash, which was totally unregulated. They knew that to avoid questions, they had to pay the parents under the table, with no paperwork or documentation, no contract stating this whatsoever. 
In August 1982, the families of Renee and Micah filed separate civil lawsuits against the studio, its director and producers, and crew including Dorsey Wingo. Vic Morrow's family did the same. On June 15, 1983, the Los Angeles County DA brought charges against John Landis, George Fosey, and production manager Dan Allingham with two counts of manslaughter. Additionally, Landis, Dorsey Wingo, and explosive specialist Paul Stewart were also charged with three additional counts of manslaughter for aggravated, reckless, and grossly negligent acts that resulted in the deaths of Vic, Renee, and Micah. The criminal trial against the five men started in 1986. During the proceedings, the parents of Renee and Micah testified against Landis and others, reliving the scene of when they witnessed the deaths of their children. Landis testified on his behalf, and he admitted to the illegal hiring of children, but placed blame on Wingo and the others for the accident. Landis insisted that Wingo should have coordinated the stunt with the pyrotechnics experts, but failed to do so. Wingo also testified in his defense in the trial. After 93 days of testimony, followed by 17 days of rebuttal and arguments, the jury handed down their verdict. Not guilty of all charges. Not one of the five charged, Landis, Folsey, Allingham, Stewart, and Wingo, received criminal punishment for the deaths of Vic Morrow, Renee Chen, and Michael Lay. Landis was also never charged for the illegal employment of the children. In the civil suit, the studio settled with Vic Morrow's family within a year at an undisclosed amount, while the surviving parents of Renee and Micah were granted compensation individually amounting to several millions of dollars. The FAA and National Transportation and Safety Board changed its requirements to add helicopters and all types of aircraft to its regulations while filming movies and television. After the investigation in 1984, the NTSB concluded that the crash was caused by the failure of communication between the director and the pilot. Dorsey Wingo's attorney was able to negotiate with the NTSB to suspend his pilot license for 30 days instead of completely revoking it. The Screen Actors Guild created a 24-hour hotline to report unsafe conditions and established a safety committee for everyone in the industry. The Guild also encouraged members to invoke their right to refuse work if there are obvious safety issues while filming. The Injury and Illness Prevention Program Safety Manual for Television and Feature Production was published to help industry workers, including executives, to follow proper safety precautions and maintain a safe working environment. Out of all the people involved in this event, only John Landis seemed to have come out with barely a scratch. John Landis was given a slap on the wrist by the Directors Guild of America and was fined $5,000 by the California Labor Commission for the child labor law infraction. $5,000 was the maximum fine set by the state. OSHA also fined Landis a little over $1,000 for the safety violations. He went on and directed more box office hits like Coming to America and Beverly Hills Cop, as well as music videos like Michael Jackson's Thriller and Black or White. On the other hand, the three studio crew members had a hard time getting work after the trial. Other studios could not get past what happened and what they were involved in. This also included Dorsey Wingo. He was basically black-marked into working in show business again. 
After the trial, he sued Warner Brothers, who settled for an undisclosed amount, and spent the next two decades operating helicopters for the logging industry in the northwestern United States. Michael Lay's parents divorced two years after the trial. Twilight Zone the movie was released to theaters on June 24, 1983, less than a year after the incident. It made a little over $29 million in the box office. The studio claims that most of the profits were paid out to settlements and legal fees. Now, if you're wondering what happened to the Vietnam War scenes in Time Out, it was cut entirely from the film, like it never existed. And if you're also curious, you can also find the gruesome footage of the accident online. John Landis and Steven Spielberg's relationship became estranged after what happened. When asked about how the crash affected attitudes towards safety, Steven Spielberg was quoted to reply, No movie is worth dying for. Thank you for listening to this episode of Untimely. If after hearing this episode, you do plan to watch the movie, tell us what you think about knowing that three people died making this movie. Was it worth it? Also, if you have the time, please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Music, or wherever you enjoy your podcast. Stop by and say hello to us on Twitter at Untimely Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.